in the words of the great Larry Ernest Blackman from Cameo. Come on, baby, tell me what's the word, a word up. Well, the word on the street is this is the fourth episode of Loquacious Podcast. And I am Aisha Gunn, comedian, late bloomer, reluctant renaissance woman, and an expert of my own personal lunacy. Will you join me on my journey? I'd appreciate it. And I appreciate you. My hopes are that you are well, and if not, maybe I can help distract you for a spell. Speaking of spell, today's episode is titled, The Power in Our Words. Say what? Before we get into that, give it up for the beautiful background music provided by the NC Nightlife, the Natural Symphony of North Carolina. Mm-mm-mm. Yes, harmonious and never off key, don't you agree? Well, I want to get right into this because I I was I was I was encouraged. I started writing notes for this months ago because I always speak about this with anybody who will listen. So, it definitely was going to be a topic, but recently I was watching a show that I discovered it's a gem, I swear to you. It's a gem of a show that I discovered a few years ago. And it's called Teen Mum, not to be mistaken for Teen Mom, which is the American version um, of the MTV show that follows the lives of teenage parents. But this is Teen Mum, which is uh, based over in England. And I think I was intrigued by this show because the accents make them sound so sophisticated at such an early age that it's hard to grasp that they are as clueless as they are. And they sound like they have so much sense, yet they do things like like buy horses when they only have a trailer to live in for themselves. Listen, there was this one couple, young couple, obviously, teens, and they lived in a trailer. No problem there. They were living according to their means, which that's that's very responsible. That part was responsible. So they live in a trailer park. And the girl, the young lady was turning either 16 or 17. I'm not sure how old she was. But her teenage baby daddy gave her a horse for her birthday. Now, they live in a trailer, okay? They they have no shelter for this horse. I did not see not one carrot, just one straw of hay. Nothing for the horse. They... He had shoved the horse behind his father's house somewhere else, put this tarp over the poor ho- poor horse. I just knew that de- that horse was going to be dead the next morning when they went back. I didn't want that to happen. I really did not. But I was just like, that. I was watching it. And I was just watching the this janky stable that he made up. And I just said, look, I said, that horse is going to be dead in the morning. And to wait, to make things worse. I believe the horse was pregnant too, or they suspected that the horse was pregnant. And then they were calculating how much an ultrasound for the horse would cost. And the poor girl's mother, she was just like, so what did you do for your birthday? And she said, oh, mom, he bought me a horse. Her her mother looked at her like, a horse? 
you two can barely take care of yourselves. <laughs> and all she could, I know, Mom. I know. But it's just in the language. It's in the way that they said things that really intrigued me. There was another uh, couple where, oh, wait a minute. Before I get to that one, the same couple with the horse. I believe it was her father or his father that pulled him aside, pulled the baby daddy aside. And he said, oh, oh boy, you've most certainly sewn yourself up into this one, haven't you? And I thought how clever that was and just how, how, just the idea of so getting inside. I thought about sewing yourself inside a pillowcase. That's the best way I can put it. Get, climb inside a big old pillowcase and sewing yourself up inside of it. You're not getting out anytime soon. You will get out. You can get out of it. But you're going to have to put in some work. And that pillowcase is not going to be the same. And neither are you after going through that experience. But just, <laughs> just the way that he used his words intrigued me even more. And then lastly, there was a couple where the father, the young baby daddy, and the mother who had been in the house all day. She's always home with the baby. And now she's getting, you know, she's ready to go out. She wants to go to the park and she's holding the baby and she's bouncing the baby. And she's just like, oh, you're going to go to the park with me and the baby. And he sat on the couch and he just he said, I don't want to go to the park. I'm feeling poorly. And she looked at him and she's, you're feeling poorly. What about me? I'm the one that had the baby. I'm the one who should be feeling poorly. The thing is, is that the use of that word poorly just gave me life. I said, you know what? I think I'm going to start using poorly instead of sick. Because if you add a little dramatic flair, put your hand up to your forehead and just slump your shoulders a little bit and just say it feeling poorly, you might get a little bit more empathy from somebody to say, I'm sick. Because you could be meaning, I'm sick of you. You know, not physically ill, but I'm just sick of you. I'm sick of your face. But I'm feeling poorly is about you. So anyway, yes, the power of our words. And like I said, in just that example there. Like I said, I didn't even get into the meat and potatoes of everything, but that example right there was why I I really wanted to talk about this because it's always a topic of discussion. Um, not always, but oftentimes a topic of discussions you know, of when I'm with people because I'm since I was a child, I was always intrigued with you know why do we use the words that we do and 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 who decided on on these words. <clears throat> so. Um, so how my mind works is, you know, my, my goal uh, is is to have organic thoughts that are not guided by too many outside influences. And to do so, um, oftentimes I have to unplug from a lot of uh, just uh, outside influences, especially through media, which can just bombard you with information. I don't want to find myself just easily swayed by a decision because I've been hearing it just sometimes subconsciously. It's just being fed into me and into my spirit. So I try my best to limit some things. And sometimes along with my fast and my physical fast, I add in um, any, uh, lots of media, television. Well, I don't watch a lot of television much anymore, but like YouTube is YouTube and, and these apps are like the new television. So it's not like you're getting screen time. So just limiting my screen time. And, um, for, and for that reason, when I, like I said, I, I allow my thoughts to, to spark 
And then I follow them as far as connecting dots and putting things together because of organic thoughts and then putting things together so that I can uh, just solidify something so that I can move on to the next thought, you know, or just dive into something else that intrigues me. And oftentimes, well, many people in my life consider me to be a conspiracy theorist, which I don't mind. Um, some people, you know, some folks balk at that term due to the negative connotations attached to it. Some people, you know, like a nutcase, crazy, whatever. But, and you know, I'll take crazy, just not sick, because there is a difference. You know, we learned that. I, I've learned that a long time ago. So I'll take crazy. Most people are. But since the topic of at hand is the power of our words, if you break down the definition of each word in conspiracy theorists, um, a conspiracy is a secret plan by a group to do something unlawful or harmful. Okay, we have that. And as far as a theory, uh, it has a few meanings, but for this purpose, um, an idea, we'll use this definition, an idea used to account for a situation or justify a course of action. So we have conspiracy and we have theory and with the ist, the I-S-T, the suffix, which will, which indicates a person who basically is concerned with practices with, um, who's concerned with or practices something. And it often denotes, um, a person who is an expert, like an artist, a pianist, a dramatist. Uh, I, you know, we're going to get, I think the jury is still out because I I put out, (laughs) I'm trying to figure out racist because that would just mean we are an expert on our, in our, on ourselves, on our race. And it's not a bad thing, right? So we can dead that whole debate. There we go. But no, like I said, jury is still out. I was really diving into that because I do know that IST does have, um, and the, the definition of racist for whatever reason because of you know the rules and this that and the other you know it I, the rules of the english language it's confusing at times um but we'll get back to that some other time so i don't mind the term um conspiracy theorist because it's i mean for this purpose you know it's because i'm concerned with ideas that surround conspiracies And I I prefer conspiracy researcher, which for me means that when something questions, you know, when my mind questions something, I'm willing to connect the dots through research of a particular subject. And but one thing for certain, one thing is for certain is that I will never put myself in a category of being an expert of anything outside of my own personal lunacy, as I've stated again and again. So, you know, I read a lot in uh, the darn near everything. And I read the Bible often. And one scripture that comes to mind concerning this topic is found in the book of Proverbs, book 18, verse 21. And many people know this one. They've heard it before. And it is, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. After, you know, after savoring that scripture for some time, my mind started to wonder about the power of our words, you know, and, and, and why we use particular words. So I, <clears throat> I found it interesting that quite a few folks for whom English was not their first language, people that I know personally, friends, acquaintances, people that I've gone to school with that were from other countries, found English to be a very difficult language to learn. And it's interesting because I, in my opinion, I'll say in my opinion, the English language he- heavily mirrors, look at that, we got alarms going off. Mm, mm, mm. It is 3.30 in the morning. Go and pray. 
Um, <laughs> but, <clears throat> excuse me, the English language, in my opinion, heavily mirrors the ways of the American judicial system. You know, there are rules to follow, but there will always be exceptions. And even if they don't make sense, they may change too, without you knowing. Most importantly, you just don't question it. And that's how, to me, the English language is. You know, there's there's always, you know, there's rules to follow, but there's always be exceptions, even if they don't make sense. Like it just, we just say them because that's what everybody has been passed on. We just, and you know, most importantly, don't question it. You just do it because that's what we've been doing. And I can't roll like that. I have questions. And, and speaking of America and words in the same discussion makes me, uh, it reminds me to encourage uh, you to do some research on the definition of an American in 2019 versus the definition of an American in two, um, 1828. I thought I found it very, very interesting when I was researching some other things. And in in 2019, the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary describes an American, it has uh, a good three good uh, definitions, and that is an American Indian of North America or South America, two, a native or inhabitant of North America or South America, three, a native or inhabitant of the U.S., a U.S. citizen. And the definition of an American in 1828, and this was considered Webster's before it became Merriam-Webster's, which was maybe a few years later, I think like in 1838. But in the Webster's Dictionary, an American is defined as a native of America originally applied to the aboriginals or copper colored races found here by the Europeans, but now applied to the descendants of Europeans born in America or an adjective pertaining to America. I thought that was very interesting. So look into that, you know, see, see what that's all about. Why did that change? So back to the rules and exceptions. Um, for example, things that we've always done was, uh, for as long as I can remember, I before E except after C was a common rule that was taught in schools. For example, the word thief, T-H-I-E-F, fiend, F-I-E-N-D, believe, B-E-L-I-E-V-E. Then you have receive. R-E-C-E-I-V-E. Conceit. C-O-N-C-E-I-T. Those were a few examples of the I before E except after C. However, unless you're an astute student of the English language, you wouldn't know that there are, I believe, over 900 words in the English language that break that rule. And in fact, I think there's only about 44 words that actually follow the rule. I thought that was interesting, but do your own research. But I wouldn't, <laughs> I would not doubt it if it were, to, you know, if that were the truth. Because, like I said, the English language does what it wants to do. That's what it, you know, it does what it wants to do. And so, since I am uh, the queen of disclaimers, I do urge you all to research on this topic. You know, I did um, get some information from a website called Uberfacts, and although I do read books and everything um, for this particular. Uh, it, for this information, um, I, like I said, I didn't know how best to look for that. So 
I went to Uberfax and although they have a few million followers, there are a couple of articles that claim that they are not always correct with their information. Again, I'm not an expert, but if you are interested um, in an in-depth history of the English language, I would highly suggest you check out the History of English podcast. It's a very, very interesting podcast by Kevin Stroud. And it's something I ran across doing some research and it actually stopped me in my tracks and uh, helped me come to the conclusion that I would rather delve into my next segment rather than make a fool of myself giving you all a history lesson that I have yet to study thoroughly myself. I'll let, I'll let Kevin Stroud do that. Um, it is an in-depth history lesson that has over 106 episodes and I refuse to compete with that. Instead, I'd rather go in the direction of taking you on a journey through my thought process where um, I'm going back to the day that I randomly thought to myself, why do we use the term spelling when we put our words, when we put our letters together to form words? You know, spelling is the most popular. There is wording is is a is an actual word. Um, and lettering is also used, but spelling is is the most commonly used word when it comes to putting together letters to form a word. And when I think of the word spell without a suffix, suffix attached to it, I often think of some of the women that I've crossed path, paths with in my lifetime who identified as witches, who studied and practiced witchcraft, and also those who subscribe to the spiritual belief of Wicca which is a religion with deities. And um, just a little background, you know, basically witchcraft is a practice which does not have to involve deities. And Wicca is a religion which involves one's relationship with the divine. That's how it's usually described. I could be wrong, but that's my best understanding of it. And like I said, this is just a quick breakdown for understanding. Um, But back to witchcraft, those whom I've known to practice it Practice it, use spells and other tactics tactics to achieve a desired result, which made me curious, you know, does, does the English alphabet have a relationship with the occult? And it may seem far-fetched, but I am not afraid to explore the possibility. I mean, truth is stranger than fiction, correct? I'm not here to debate whether it's right or wrong. I'm just exploring that if that were a part of the origins of our language, What is the intention behind it? There's numerous uh, scriptures addressing the power of words and how our tongues can bring blessings in life or curses in death. For example, in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 10, it says, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. And guile uh, can also be defined as a sly or cunning intelligence, and which also can be a synonym is uh, crafty or what some people will call slick. <laughs> um, in the book of Proverbs, book fifteen, excuse me, chapter fifteen, verse four, a soothing tongue creates life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. That's pretty heavy. And then we go on to, there was some other scriptures that I thought were interesting because they would compare the tongue to a bridle, excuse me, a bit, the bit in the tongue that will bridle, like, like when they use a bit 
in a horse's mouth to bridle the entire body that you can you can you can control the entire body by just that bit in the horse's mouth and also comparing it to the rudder of a ship that um, I think I saw where it was saying that the that although they are so large and driven by like fierce winds, there's still that little small rudder that will can can determine wherever whoever's operating the ship wants to go. That small rudder. So our tongues, uh, you know, according to scripture, just have that much power. And I also gathered some other non-biblical quotes and. Um, there's one from an unknown source, and it says, Be careful with your words. Once they are said, they can be only forgiven, not forgotten. Um, an Islamic scholar named Hamza Yusuf said, Don't ever diminish the power of words. Words move hearts, and hearts move limbs. John Keating said, No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Jessamine West says, a broken bone can heal, but the wound a word opens can fester forever. And as I delved more into the topic, I've grown to understand that there are people who have done extensive research into those who have influenced the English language and the symbolism of each letter and the intention behind why we use particular words. And to piggyback on that, it made me think about why, if I'm thinking about spelling, I was wondering why the term cursive is used when we connect our letters. It seemed like too much of a coincidence to have the terms spell and curse being used when it comes to our words. It's just something to think about. You know, it gets my spidey senses tingling. You know, what I will say is my main goal for this podcast, for this particular episode is not, well, for all of them, but um, for this subject matter in particular, it's just something I wanted to talk about. And it, I, I'm not trying to come across as some great guru or know-it-all expert. You know, that is not a job I would ever want. It sounds very demanding and far too much pressure for my taste. But, you know, my goal is just to provoke thought and discussions and maybe even awaken some people out of a slumber in which they just go along with whatever they are fed mentally, physically, spiritually, not to go along with whatever I say, but just to give you a perspective that, you know, may not have been explored or just, you know, something to get, you know, to get you out of the monotony of some of the, you know, sometimes we just, we have so much of a regimented schedule that, you know, veering off into thoughts that are outside of that, um, can seem kind of jarring, but it's, I think it's great for our minds to, to even explore that. You don't have to accept it or embrace it and keep it as a belief, but it's, you know, just use your mind to explore, but be mindful when doing so. And, you know, I just wanted to know, you know, if people are capable of opening their minds to the possibility that there are people in our world who believe that linking printed letters together to create cursive writing actually heightens the intention of the word or spell, you know, something to think about. I just encourage people to do their own research and not just to go with what I'm saying. You know, I'm open to learning as well. So with, uh, with this episode, and, and I, I think I'll just conclude that there, um, the, the most of it there, but I will say that, you know, I hope that, you know, we'll, 
with this discussion that I am having, I hope that you will take with you just the mindfulness of of the words that we speak, the the things that we name our children. I mean, excuse me, the names that we give to our children, the things that we allow ourselves to be called. You know, it's something that's going to be spoken to your children, things that are going to be spoken to you your entire life unless you decide to change it. And what you have to decide, you know, what will others be calling you and what will they be pouring into you? You know, what is the meaning behind your name or behind your children's name that people will be repeating? Your children will be saying this. My name is this. And what are they saying? What are they speaking into your into their lives? And also not just what the power of our words, but the power of other words, the words of others. If you know that someone doesn't know how to speak to you correctly, if you can do so, you have to find a way to navigate your life around them. Because that's feeding your spirit. And it's also coming through the music. You have to be very careful. You just Pay attention to how your mood changes when you're listening to particular music. There is, and there's intention behind that as well. I know a lot of people, uh, you know, are kind of in la-la land about that. But you have to be very, very important of not just of what, excuse me, it's very important to be mindful not only of what you are saying, but what is being fed to you and just being mindful overall of the way you speak about your life. Even if you don't agree with me or uh, the fact that words hold any type of weight, find something in your life that you would like to see some type of change in. And just one thing and speak nothing but kindness and greatness instead of focusing on the lack and see what happens. I, I don't, I can't even tell you what happens, but I just said, just see what's the worst that could happen. You speaking kindness and greatness into a situation that is not uh, the most desired in your life. What what can happen? And oh, speaking of, of kindness, <laughs> since we're talking about words, look into the archaic definition of the word nice. I know a lot of people are always, uh, speaking highly of someone saying that they were so nice and someone using the word nice I've used it you know for myself and for you know quite some time and they and people you know I was so nice to her and I was so nice you know to him and you know just using that word but if you look in the and once again we're in the archaic version versus the 2019 version. In 2019 nice means pleasant, agreeable, satisfactory. <laughs> and all the synonyms were pleasing to the ear. Delightful, gratifying, marvelous. Consider striving to be kind because the the archaic version of nice is foolish. Look into it. Look into it and then start to replace. I was, he was, he's so nice. He's so foolish. Mm-hmm. I was trying to be nice. You were being foolish and you probably succeeded because I know I've done it. <laughs> so yes, strive to be kind. I think it's a safe word. Well, all right. I think I'm tired of hearing my own self talk. So I'm going to get on out of here and... Uh, I forgot my book recommendation. <clears throat> Excuse me. I forgot my book recommendation. So, well, you know, after talking your ear off, I won't recommend anything too heavy or deep. Let me see. Let me look into my list here. But you know what? Then again, it is if you want it to be. It is all about perspective because this book that I'm about to recommend is an awesome book and it's called The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane. It was 
Tulane, The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane. And it was published in 2006, I believe, written by Kate DiCamillo. And it's a children's book. And I chose this children's book because it's great for children and adults. And it's just simply beautifully written. It's beautifully written. And it's something about beautiful words. <laughs> so it's set in the 1930s. And it's about this rabbit that's made of China that was given to a 10-year-old girl as a gift from her grandmother. And she, the little girl just cherished this rabbit. She took very good care of it. Unfortunately, there was an incident that separates the rabbit from the young girl and that begins, um, that's where the the journey for this rabbit begins, where the rabbit uh, is being passed along from one character to another, one owner to another. And each one is teaching him more and more about himself. And um, I, I had checked the book out of the library the first time that I read it. And I, I'm not ashamed to say that I was volunteering at my children's school in the library because that's one of my favorite places to be. And I, yes, I do love being of service and helping children, but low key, I was trying to just have access to the best children's books around. And yes, you, the central library has a great section, but the school libraries sometimes have like the hottest, like the latest, what the kids are really into. And I like to have that so I can be, you know, connected and have conversations with the little ones when I run into them. Also, so I can really look into their children's book and just pick them apart because some of this stuff is just straight up lunacy. And, you know, I might do, I might talk about some of the children's books that I've that I've come across, but I might do a video about that because I, I need people to see the visuals that I see and maybe, and let me know if I'm tripping or not. But yes, that is all. Thank you all for joining me, whoever is listening. And thank you for anyone who's been listening to any of my other episodes. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to enable a way for people to leave messages so you can share any any stories or that you would like for me to share if you would like to uh, request particular topics or any feedback on on my podcast I greatly appreciate it so I'm going to enable that and provide a link on the through the app and also on my social media platforms and I think that is all that we have my name is Aisha Gunn this is Loquacious Podcast and if you're going to do something Whatever it is, do it with love. Peace.